Chapter Eight of the Submarine Boys on Duty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Submarine Boys on Duty by Victor G. Durham. A swift stroke for honor. For the space of a few moments, Dan Jagers stared at the money clutched in his hand in a way that betrayed the extent of its fascinating hold upon his mind. Then he glanced down at his unconscious uncle. Ugh, he grunted, giving that prostrate form a slight but contemptuous kick. If I hadn't done something like this, you would. Oh, yeah, there's honor among thieves, but it's no good trusting to that honor. Every man for himself in the woods. One more gloating look the shaggy young bully took at all the money before thrusting it deep down in a pocket and pinning the opening securely. "'Don't you wish you was me, with all this money to have a good time on?' he demanded, jeeringly, of Jack Benson. "'But maybe you framed up some kind of yarn that your boss for him will be willing to believe. If you ain't, then maybe you'd better never get close to him again.' Dan Jagers again turned his attention to his overcome uncle, kneeling beside the ex-foreman and watching his face closely. And then a strange thing happened, or so it would have seemed, had Dan Jagers possessed eyes in the back of his head. For Jack Benson, likewise his chum, had striven many times through the night to free their wrists of the cords that bound them. Jack was the first to succeed, at the cost of hours of effort and thinking. He wriggled one hand out from under the knots, just as Dan turned for that last look at the prostrate man. How fearfully numbed Jack Benson's wrists were after that long spell of being tied up. Yet the boy knew that he must quickly restore circulation there and get his hands ready for use before it was all too late. It must be one swift, decisive, conquering stroke for honor's sake. Jack's trembling right hand went into one of his trousers' pockets. He found his clasp-knife, yanked it out, opened one of the blades, and Hal Hastings, who had been watching every move with breathless interest, now rolled noiselessly so that his chum could reach the rope that held him captive. In another twinkling, Hal was free. Just then, Jagers, fancying he heard some noise in their direction, turned slowly. By the time Jagers had them within his range of vision, each boy was lying as before, his hands behind his back. With a heartless chuckle, Dan turned back for one last look at his uncle. Jack rose, almost fearing to breathe. Hal started to follow suit. There was some swift, steady toe work. Just as Dan Jagers turned, more sharply, Jack Benson hurled himself through the air, catching and clutching at his enemy's neck. Both rolled over together, Dan with his greater strength, fighting like a panther and a bear in one. It was Hal Hastings' chance. As he darted forward, he espied a serviceable-looking stick on the ground. He snatched it up with a single breathless swoop, then poised himself over the struggling fighters, stick uplifted. Down came that slender cudgel, striking Dan a light blow squarely top of his head. Ow! Oh, help! Quit that, screamed Dan Jagers. Lie still then, commanded Hal sternly, and let go of Jack, or I'll use this stick for all I'm worth. Brave enough, while he thought he had a good fighting chance, 
Dan cowered under the menace of that club. He submitted to being rolled on his back, pleading, Don't club me, I'll be quiet. See that you are, then, ordered young Benson, kneeling on his opponent's chest. Remember, Dan, that there are two of us. We mean to win, no matter how ugly a fight we have to put up. Want the gag that you threw away when you jumped up, Jack? asked Hal, with a delighted grin. No, we don't need to gag him. Jaggers, roll over on your face, and don't you dare make any attempt to get up, ordered the submarine boy, rising from his prostrate foe, while Hastings stood ready to use the stick. Dan obeyed. Jack took the slim cudgel from his chum, who, at a silent signal, slipped back and picked up some of the slashed cord. There was enough of it to accomplish the tying of Jaggers. See here, whined Dan, you're not going to take me to Dunhaven. We're going to get that money away from you and take it to its rightful owner, retorted Jack tersely, as he commenced to tie the knots, while Hal held the cudgel conveniently close to the bully's head. Dan, however, had hardly a thought of making any fight. Jack alone was nearly a match for him. The two chums, acting together, could overcome him easily enough at any time. Oh, I'll give up the money, promised Dan Jaggers willingly. Thank you, returned Jack dryly. However, we'll take it ourselves, and right now, he added, as he finished tying the knots about Dan's wrists. The rifling of Jaggers' pockets brought to light all of Mr. Farman's money, except the five dollars Dan had spent in Dunhaven the night before. However, the boys' own money that had been taken from their pockets and which was now found in one of Owen's vest pockets, made up the full sum of eight hundred dollars. "'He fell as win, and I lose a good time,' muttered Dan mournfully. "'But say, now you've got the cash again, set me free, before you start for Dunhaven. Don't leave me tied up like this.' "'We won't,' Jack promised him grimly. "'We'll take you with us.' "'Not to Dunhaven,' screamed the bully. "'Even the Dunhaven,' mocked Hal. "'But they'll send me to jail,' protested the scared wretch. "'Well,' insinuated Benson, "'can you imagine any other place that would be as suitable for a fellow of your kind?' "'You fellas promised me you wouldn't take me to Dunhaven if I stopped fighting, wine jaggers.' "'We promised you nothing of the sort,' retorted Jack. "'Now come, up on your feet with you.' The two submarine boys raised the now white-faced bully, who was still pleading and protesting. Dan refused to start at the word, but a few sharp cuts across his legs by Hal made the fellow change his mind. "'I reckon your uncle will stay until he's called for,' laughed Jack, as they started. "'Anyway, the matter of greatest importance is to deliver the money to Mr. Farnham before it goes through any more mishaps.' "'I tell you, tain't right to make me go along and be sent to jail,' declared Jaggers earnestly. "'You've already done me harm enough.' and got me out of my job. If you hadn't head enough to know the difference between getting yourself in all your troubles and our doing it, there's no use arguing the matter, retorted Jack quietly. Get along now, for we don't mean to have any nonsense. We've got to get through in time to send someone back for your uncle. Despite the vigilance of both boys, Dan lagged all he could. As he came nearer to the seaport village, his despair and rage increased so that he several times halted and flatly refused to stir. At such times, Hal had to use the stick with increasing severity. At last, with a violent wrench, 
Jagers, with his strong wrists, managed to snap the cords upon which he had already made many efforts. Now see here, he defied them, waving his fists in the air. Maybe you think you're going to take me with you, but you won't take me in a town alive. Retreating, he crouched against a tree, waving his fist before him. Jack and Hal lost no time closing in with the bully, but he drove them back. The boys were not prepared to do their enemy serious bodily harm. Dan, on the other hand, didn't care what he did, so the odds seemed almost in his favor. "'Clear out and leave me to take to my heels, and I'll call it square,' he shouted hoarsely. "'But if you try to fight, then don't blame me for anything that happens to you. I won't go to jail, I tell you. I'll die sooner.' Jack, with his fists up, worked in as close as he could, trying to get in under the big bully's guard for a clinch, so that Hal Hastings could finish the work of successful attack. Dan, fighting with the fury and strategy of desperation, kept them both off fairly well. While the opposing forces were so occupied, there came down a path out of the woods, behind the tree against which Jaggers was backed, a third boy. About sixteen years old he appeared to be. He wore patched overalls, a frayed flannel shirt, and a much-used straw hat of the field variety. His hair, once brown, had many streaks of reddish tint in it from long exposure to the sun. His face was brick-red from the same cause. His rather large hands looked rough enough from hard labor. But he had frank, laughing eyes and a homely, honest look. Moreover, he had the air of one who could be swiftly alert. All this Jack Benson noted as soon as he caught sight of the newcomer. "'Hello there,' called Jack, pausing. This fellow is a thief, and we're trying to get him to town. Help us to get him, will you? Want me to look behind me, and then you'll jump me, hey, leered Dan Jaggers. That won't work. The newcomer grinned broadly, then shot forward. Ere Jaggers could change his mind, he felt himself clasped from behind. A pair of strong hands joined over his windpipe, his body thus bound securely to the tree. "'Help!' sputtered the victim of this attack. "'We're bringing it to you,' laughed Jack, leaping forward. In a twinkling now, the three boys had Dan Jaggers down and held so closely that he could not stir. Benson produced another length of cord, and Dan had to submit to having his wrists lashed, this time in a most workmanlike manner. "'Thank you ever so much,' acknowledged Jack, looking up at the new boy. "'Oh, you're welcome,' laughed the young stranger. I know Dan Jaggers, and I'm willing to believe anything against him. I'll live to get square with you for this, one of these days, F. Summers, growled the captive. Oh, take your time about it, Dan, laughed F. unconcernedly. I'm patient, you know, about such things. In fact, I come from a patient family. End of Chapter 8 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Real Medina, Texas